Body in Progress. Lise, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Mark. How are you doing? Happy New Year. Yes, crikey, yes. <laughs> we've, just, we've just had a chat now. We had a chat last week, but we had, we had, haven't had a podcast since the beginning of... Was November. It? November. I think it, it was sometime in November during our challenge where we Correct. were failing. Okay, so let's have a quick recap. How did your November challenge go? Uh, really good from the cold showers, still doing them. Didn't write a single, didn't write a single word. <laughs> <laughs> you started, you, so did couple, you, did you did a few. Did you do a few? I did do a few. I did four or five that I smashed out all in the same day, but um, the writing challenge didn't. I've signed up for a writing course. Brilliant. <laughs> to oh, compensate. Yeah. That's it. What about your what about your doodles and your sketches? Yeah, rather like you, I started off all guns blazing. I think I ended up doing about five or six. And then as life moved on and work was catching up with me, get trying to find the time in the day to do it. Um so my challenge was to give half an hour sketching. Uh and even half an hour I struggled to squeeze into my little um daily setup. So yeah, that suffered somewhat, but I did manage to keep up with my carnival diet that went well um ate lots and lots of meats although what is interesting this year for my carnival diet because i did the same very same thing last year is the meat sources um as in where i was getting my meats from wasn't as a better quality as a quality as i had previously so they weren't all grass-fed meats or anything like that and i i kind of felt that i did suffer a little bit for it i didn't feel quite as um healthy maybe if that's the right word um tuned well tuned i think um and the, the ketosis side of things I, i'm i don't know whether i went into ketosis or not but i enjoyed it nonetheless um and i did look forward to eating some vegetables and fruit at the end of it so it does even though the carnival diet is can be beneficial to you and it's, it's good fun to do i think personally i miss the, the fruit and the veg side of things but anyway that went really well that was good. Um, so, of course, since then, we've had Christmas, the New Year and everything else. And we're back into the swing of things for this year. Um, onwards and upwards for 2023. Um, we're already through January. It's February in a few weeks' time. But, um... It is scary. But what happens at this, uh, certainly at the big, in December, when we were looking to perhaps do this podcast originally, was we'd like to look ahead for the year forward and look to see what's going to come and the new sort of focus on trends that are going to be happening and uh now we're coming at it late january we've had enough chance to read what everyone else has said about the trends and see take a bit of review and see if anything's actually picking up no it's always that time of year isn't it where we get excited and then there are so many trend reports that and from a difference between consumer trends which is what we're going to talk about today and that what's kind of manifesting in terms of consumers versus design trends. And you'll have seen them as well um, coming up through think people like Envato about you know retro design trends and minimalism and all those kind of things. The purpose of today's podcast is really just do a quick sort of summary of what we've seen as highlights in the sort of the future trends for 2023. Um, we've both had a look at sort of similar documents um, and reports and sort of compiled a few more. Uh, I think we're, just, we're going to pick two or three trends and have a quick chat about them and get our opinion on whether we think that there's sort of movement in them or whether they're going to, they are going to be trends or whether they're just sort of flashing the pans. Um, do you want to kick off, Lee? Do you want to start off with one? Because there are so many, aren't there? There were so many. And, and I think we focused probably on ones that got us excited. And I started wide and then I kind of focused down a little bit. So I went wide and, and looked at the 
there were two that I was super excited about. And I don't think you looked at either of them as your focus. And the first one was outer space, which sounds a little bit wacky <laughs> when you talk space, about food about and drink. But I love space. I love the concept of space and the fact that it, within years to come, we'll be able to travel there potentially. So I think food reflected or food trends that are based around outer space. So they might be formulations to such a point when we're able to go to space. But there's also this whole... People are fascinated by space, new formulations and, and things based around the idea of innovation and optimism. So now we're starting to realize we're screwing up the earth. We're looking to different places for inspiration. And we're actually seeing lots of tonics and it feeds into the whole, I know we're going to talk and I assume you're going to talk about nootropics. It feeds back around to that because it's all about formulating sharp focus, better brain enhancers and stuff. That's kind of all linked to the space thing and this futuristic thing that we're looking to. We want to live longer we want to be healthier and better for the future. So I kind of bring the space one round and we might want to talk a little bit more about nootropics, about staying sharp post-pandemic brain enhancers, the gut-brain connection. I know you've done a few bits and pieces in there, but I did read a statistic um, that in 2021, it's grown from $3.97 billion to $4.64 billion in how it's um, nootropics, specifically nootropics. And brain enhancers, I mean, that covers, you know, powder formulations as well as drinks and things as well. But anything, the brain enhancers market is over a billion dollars increase in the growth and awareness of it. Um, I know you said, you've said before you take um, a cannabis something every day. I do, CBD. Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> hang on a minute. I, I was, whilst I'm not puffing away every morning, uh, I do have, I do, I'm very keen on CBD. And I think and in terms of space, and bringing it back to where where space is involved just are we when we say we're looking at space is this inspiration for food that we can take into into outer galaxies or is it food that we think is going to take us to the future and our future is going to be outside of earth so i think that there's there's two different components to that so there's definitely a wave a bit like years ago we saw lab grown meat and people were starting to go well, at some point we can't grow our meat well at some point we're going to be traveling to space and we're going to need things to survive the journey so there's people developing formulas now that are longevity formulas that you that will, you can take to space a bit like you go on a great big long hike so there are people developing those kind of things as well but also people are looking to space for inspiration i suppose for optimism, for somewhere new that we might survive. Maybe they'll explore it in the metaverse because another one of the trends that kind of, that we were talking about the other day, and, and, and I think both of us were like, I don't know how this might work, is how food and drink will exist in the metaverse, which was, which was a completely different immersive technologies and, and the recreation of flavors. Coke had launched one of its flavors last year in meta, yes. um, and they said it tasted like a galaxy of pixels. <laughs> So I think the, the fusion of like worlds that we're yet to understand. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I I was reading, I was thinking about this this morning, in fact, about food and drink brands making themselves work in a digital environment. So food and drink clearly are a product and they're offering you a product to consume. Yet you're not going to be able to consume, consume these as we do now in, the, in this sort of um, other world. What is it they're actually going to be serving you with as, as a product? Because you're not going to be tasting anything. So I, I find this intriguing. They've obviously, the brands have got to get make this space work for them. 
And, it, and it's fascinating because you would previously have gone, oh, well, it's a space that allows you to advertise that when you leave your gaming world, because I mean, Metaverse came from gaming. So once you're in the gaming world, you might be exposed to brands. We always, you know, like some, there was that statistic years ago when if you walk past a Coke machine, was it somewhere in Japan or somewhere, they had the ones that made the noise as if you're opening the can of Coke and it just made you go, oh, I need a refreshing can of Coke. So we would previously have seen gaming world and you might be exposed to brands and go, oh, might just grab myself a can of Coke. But the fact that in May last year, Coke launched a zero sugar version of their Coke in Fortnite and it was designed to taste like pixels. It depends how real meta gets because how you recreate the structures and the form, that the, the textures that you get through food, like how do you experience that? But if, if the metaverse becomes so real that you feel like you're really in it, there will be ways to do it. So I don't, I can't, I can't pretend I can understand how that's going to work, but I'm fascinated to understand how they do. I mean, you and I are probably have that naive mind to go, oh, I don't know. Like it's still quite, yeah. it still feels well, quite nice. Tasting, tasting a pixel, tasting a pixel, and I've also actually, it tastes a bit sort of like an iron drink. But I guess we don't have to understand it because it's not something necessarily that um, we've currently experienced, and it's something that it would be a new experience. So it'd be a new taste palette that none of us have ever touched on before and because it because it's not a physical thing you won't ever physically taste it but whether you can recreate that sensation again it will only develop as much as we can believe we're in a metaverse world if we can believe we're in a parallel world to ours that we can step in and out of to experience things like you can go to a club in a metaverse you can have a beer i think was you you touched on it before about these brands it's another platform for them to actually market themselves and knowing that these individuals playing these games or in, in not necessarily playing games, but in a, in a metaverse environment, will be stepping out of that into the real world and that whatever's been served them in the advertising in that metaverse, they can then translate that into the real world. So I can see that there is a platform for the people to use, but if it's something they're trying to sell inside the metaverse to be consumed in the metaverse, that's where I'm a bit sort of, how's that going to look? How's that going to work? And yeah. who's consuming and that, but But there are... Di- but there are developments going on in there already. There was one I was reading about. There's a virtual distillery, um, a Mexico architect to put together an experiential designer, and it was polysensory and it lived in Decentraland. Um, so again, if you're stepping into a surreal world that feels like a bar, you know, like if you if you could make it real enough, then surely people will believe yeah. it. And... Well, that brings us on to another subject, which I know you're quite keen on, um, is the the no low category because this that's kind of that's creating another environment in these no-low bars, this non-alcoholic, low-alcoholic beverage bars. These people are maintaining sort of a degree of soberness, yet they're still buying drinks in a bar and continually sort of session drinking. The sobriety trend is, like, is what they called it a few years ago, I think at the start of COVID. And I think you and I talked a little bit about it the other day. I love this trend because I like the fact that people are going against the mainstream, I suppose, and going, well you're a teenager or you're you know you're an early 20 something you should drink but there was a statistic that was in the guardian that said that brits aged between 16 to 24 are the driving generation shunning booze and 26 percent of those people between 16 and 24 are teetotal i'm fascinated i'm fascinated by this like i can't imagine as a 20 year old not drinking because we went through those years but i would happily not drink now like i I don't feel the need to. If I go out and socialise, maybe I have one drink, but it, I'm, it doesn't bother me. If I didn't ever drink, it doesn't bother me. 
I think what fat what health and well being. Yeah, and we're going to talk about health and well being. Of course, we know that oh, excessively drinking is not good for us. I don't think anyone can dispute that. What I would argue is that a lot of the trends that are around are recreating cocktails, but without the booze. So yes, the percentage of alcohol is bad for you, but there's a lot of other things in there that don't make it all that healthy. Yes. I don't think they're not being served as health drinks, though, are they? These, these drinks are being served as drinks to enjoy, almost a treat. Um, so you appreciate the fact that they're not something you'd be drinking day in, day out, I think. Um, I get Maybe there's something else in this we, we touched on before about the nootropic side of things. The purpose for us in the past to consume drinks was to make us feel a little bit more um, less inhibited, I think if that's the right way to put it, uh, and you sort of in, socially you become more of a, a sort of social animal in an environment where there's more people around you. So maybe the world of nootropics can step into that and sort of take over potentially. I don't know whether nootropics are nootropic type drinks, i.e., drinks that change your mindset in a, in a positive way, are in no no drinks. I think that's a massive opportunity. I think that you'll see definitely growing in the future. I think to our point the other day, I mean, when we were. Um, teenagers and going to bars the cool drink to have if you weren't going to drink was like a j2o which was like this crappy little juice drink in a bottle that made you pretend it was beer so i think they were the kids you and again you're at that age where you're desperately trying to fit in and so i think we're at the moment these mocktails or or, or versions of so sober drink versions it's that it satisfies the urge to fit in without the need to lose control and, and drink so there is a side of drinking that is obviously clearly addictive and you're not stepping into that vortex of needing to drink but i think it's a great opportunity for things like nootropics we're seeing them i did read the other day about co- coffee particularly um, and I think it was on a Mintel um, podcast that I was listening to about coffee industry and they're starting to do half size shots quarter size shots and sometimes the coffee is sourced from a different type so it's still caffeine but there's some that comes from a different rather than a bean it comes from a plant so you get the same effects but it has a different longevity you don't get the coffee shakes there's all different things and they talked about Nespresso as a brand are starting to also add collagen into some of their capsules so things like that you could, if you could go to a bar and get your drink in an evening that has no alcohol, you still get to sit and enjoy the moment with it, and it's got your collagen and your vitamins in for the day. Yeah, what an opportunity! And where do you think that, in terms of Nolo bars and drinks and cafes, there are the, the cultural fashion cities, let's say the London, the New York, there are bars opening up which are zero proof bars they all they call them temperance bars from all the research that we've been doing around they, they're either zero alcohol bars or they're called temperance bars um, but again they've taken their time so i feel like they've been around for quite a while in places like london new york I, there's a few distilleries in sydney that are um, alcohol free distilleries and things so the big cities it's bigger in but then you're starting to read there was the one that we were reading about that's in dubai and there was one that was launched in Atlanta that I was reading about first non-alcoholic liquor store. So it's not liquor because it's non-alcoholic, but the first store for that. So I think until we start seeing, there's, there's always those places and you'll get them, like you'll go to a back-end country pub in England and you order something and you go, not drinking. And there's, there's that perception. And in the smaller towns in the, I don't really want to stereotype too much, but in some of the cities you travel to in America, you know, outback cities are going to be a very different reaction yeah. to new york yeah very much so and um, there are there are already cannabis cocktail bars in new york there are you know there are those kind of places where they're mixing and they're testing some of these ingredients in these fusions 
But in towns like Nottingham in the UK, all those little places, it's not going to really be a thing as quick until it starts to become mainstream or in demand. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, as you know, I live in the middle of the countryside and it's cider drinking world down here in the southwest and some most of the big brands have launched their sort of um, zero zero proof ciders but i don't know how successful they are and have you taste have you tasted any of those zero alcohol versions of what you would normally drink Mark? i haven't when i i used to i've i've worked in the beer industry drinks industry for quite some time and uh i used to work with a big brewery molson cause and even 20 odd years ago we were forming um brews which were had zero alcohol in and it was always a thing there was often a a push to try and get more female drinkers on board to be drinking beer um this is 20 years ago by the way and the thought was we'll, we'll produce a very low alcohol virtually no alcohol beer for the female drinker because that's what they'll want they'll want low alcohol <laughs> literally know that it's completely opposite and the idea was if you have a pint of really super low alcohol beer even if it's two percent by the time you drunk that full pint the alcohol has dissipated in your body and it's gone and the effects have gone. So yeah, the world has moved on quite some way since then, but, but they always tasted like beer. You can, it's, it's a bit of a challenge, but to try and get these drinks to taste like the alcoholic equivalent. Um, I think, I believe now I've not really tried any, if I'm honest, any certainly the spirit side. I've not tried the spirit side. I mean, Seedlip is obviously the famous brand that kind of came to fruition. That was one of the first ones, I think, designed by a Pearl Fisher to go, wow, this, and, and you want, as a designer, you wanted to buy it because it looked cool. Never mind whoever it had. And there are, if if you walk down the supermarket shelves now, there's lots, definitely in Woolworths and Coles, which are the two main supermarkets here. They are on shelf echoes of Margarita without the, without the percentage. Because, I mean, it's separate here because our liquor stores are separate to our grocery stores. They're not allowed to sell booze in a grocery store um so you could go into woolies but the the bottles and the designs look exactly like liquor bottles there there's some beautifully crafted things out there but to your point before i would probably drink something that has no alcohol if it was like a like a margarita or whatever but the beer to your point i think people drink beer because they want the effects and the alcohol effect of get drinking beer um, I've tried one or two of the Heineken beers that have no alcohol, and they taste exactly like Heineken, but you're like, well, and it just doesn't, doesn't seem any point. But if it, I think the idea as well was, certainly a few years back, was if you were out and you were driving, for example, you could have a drink with your friends. And you always still, if you're in a social environment and you're drinking a non-alcoholic drink, and let's say your friends around you're drinking, you, you have a sensation almost, of, you still feel like you're drinking. It's a very weird, certainly in the first... First drink, first maybe two drinks. If you're drinking a non-alcoholic drink and your other friends are drinking, you're, you're caught up in that sort of social happiness uh, around you. Then it gets to a point where, okay, they're definitely having a, they're feeling the effects of the alcohol and I certainly am not. So I'll head off now. They're the fascinating things to watch, to go out as, as, on a night and everyone else gets drunk and you don't. It's fascinating to watch. And I think that's why a lot of people are shunning drink now. Yeah, so the non-alcoholic category, uh, supermarkets are now having separate aisles or sectioned off part of their aisles, which are dedicated to purely non-alcoholic, low-alcoholic drinks. Um, and you're right, the designs and the design cues are all taken from the drinks, uh, alcoholic side of the uh, the industry or the category. But I think it has to. Over time, it will develop and it will form its own look and feel about it. But a, a non-alcoholic gin, it's non-alcoholic gin, so it's going to have those gin cues around the design. Um, so yeah, that's another interesting sort of insight into how that's going to move forward, uh, the design of these things. And from a, de- from, 
Yeah, well, from a design point of view and aesthetically, when you think about how originally plant-based meat used to try and look like meat, and now it kind of has its own authentic identity and is proud of who it is. And I think that's where the sobriety thing will be. At first, it's trying to echo the booze and the alcohol. And at some point, it will reach its own identity where it will proudly go, I'm alcohol-free. But again, it's like that free-from, isn't it? Because when you say alcohol-free, you go, oh, that means it's boring. So it needs to be full of flavour and look like alcohol, but not have alcohol. It's like a That's big true. And in it's, our head. I think they're built on taste. All the new spirits are, the spirits are built on taste. And it's certainly with things like whiskies and gins and vodkas, you almost allow a little, of, oh, not a nice taste, but oh, it's got an alcohol, that'd be fine. You get, you get something back from it. Yet non-alcoholic, you, if, you, if something's got a bite to it, thinking, I'm not actually enjoying this and I'm not getting anything back from it. That was always my thought about non-alcoholic. But it's, the other one you just touched on there, and I think, this I find fascinating is the lab grown meats or the not necessarily lab grown sort of meat replacements foods. I eat poultry a lot more. I don't eat an awful lot of red meat. and I never have done. And it took me a long time. It was only when you got me into the whole health kick thing that I started eating real food and, and actually started eating poultry and then thought I need protein from somewhere. So I have a little bit of red meat for the health benefits. But to try and buy organic or grass fed at, at the very at the rest, I'd rather have less but good quality. Um, but I think, look, we work with a great client of ours, um, and I can probably say it because it doesn't really matter. They're all over my LinkedIn table. So working with them as someone who has focused in on their mushroom-based meat, they are so passionate about what they do and the fact that they're not trying to create this soy or this fake plant-based meat. They're like, well, we're creating something that tastes meaty, but is confidently not meat. And, you know, we've worked with them to create this, to position them within the market to be different, to have that strategy that is that we're meaty. But we're not trying to be meat. It's just got the texture in it. It makes you feel satiated and full, but it's actually mushrooms. And they have the whole, like, a mushroom scientist that is part of their brand, that is one of the brand owners. And they're very passionate about the sustainability side of it and all of those things. But the ownership is within it tastes like this because we use mushrooms. So I'm very much like you in that I need the quality of what's in there. I need to be nutritionally worthwhile for me to do it. Um, I'm not really a, not really a foodie. It's functional in my world. I, I love to see other people, you know, we work in a food environment. I love the clients that we work with and stuff, but I'm not like someone that goes, oh, I can't wait to eat that. It, it serves kind of a purpose. Whereas I think there's so many, there's just so many plant-based brands now. Yeah, there are. And the meat replacement ones are, is particularly fascinating. Um, do you think, and this company, Fable then, do they produce different types of meat? Do they have meat that's, here's a, a burger equivalent, here's a, uh, a steak equivalent, and here's a chicken breast equivalent. Well, they, they don't, no, they don't do it so much like that. They have, um, it's all one type of meat, but then they'll be, they will form burgers with it. So what they've done really well is they, they sell the pure meat-based product, well, I don't want to call it meat, plant-based meat, or whatever you want to call it, table plant-based meat. It's one, there's no different ones, there's not like a chicken version of it or anything like that. There's only this, it's mushroom meat. And then what they've done is they've used that product to recreate things like beef bourguignon, but instead of the beef, you use that. So they've always used that core ingredient. They've just used it in different ways. So they will show you how to make a pulled pork burger, but it's not pulled pork, it's their meat. So rather than, rather than it looking like an identical copy, they've gone, we've replaced the meat in the recipe with this. And in, t- in terms of its nutritional balance, what, what does it offer... Uh, let's say it's sat- if there's you're comparing side by side, let's say um, a meatball, a standard beef meatball next to a a fable make your own mushroom meatball. So there are different times of nutrient content. So there's there is 
protein in it, but there's no there's nowhere near to the same capacity. There's obviously is it added protein? Uh, there's things that come from the ingredients that they put with it. Yes, yeah, ab- absolutely. But there are all sorts of, sort of spices and herbs and things to give it the flavor. But their density is like it's a real quality. Um, shiitake mushrooms is what they use for most of their recipes. And, and so there are different types of nutritional content to that. Shiitake mushrooms are really good for you. Um, and so the quality of that, it's not the same nutritional thing as, as meat. But it's got nutrition that meat doesn't have. And that is purely because they use shiitake mushrooms. And I don't think that a lot of the plant-based meats that are out there have that nutritional density in the same way. I think so. But I think what they are playing on at the moment, and a lot of these companies are thriving, is because of the fact that so many governments included, certainly in the Western world, are making people almost feel guilty for eating meat. Certainly if you're a regular meat eater, like myself, who eats meat on a daily basis, it's being drilled into us as, as a community. Understand that eating meat to the capacity that someone like me is, isn't necessarily healthy for the environment, it's not friendly to the animals. And uh, you know, I get this, I understand it, um, but a bit like you, you just said, I, the reason I eat meat is for its nutritional value alone. And I, I haven't come across a, I haven't really researched it in heavily, if I'm honest, but I haven't come across in my world um, a meat replacement that, number one, that would, I, would, I would like to be eating, it tastes like meat that I'd like to eat, uh, and provides me with that a nutritional equivalent. Well, I think the future for that, and perhaps you'll be more open to it than most people, and I think most um, vegans and plant-based eaters will be less into this. We are more aware of climate change. We're obviously, we want to tick the sustainability box. We're all very conscious of what we're doing to the planet right now. And I know there's some really key people. There's two of them that are out here in Australia. Vow is one of them that are doing the lab-grown meat. So the idea that you can grow um, organisms, you can grow, grow meat in a lab. I think that's the future. I just, and it fascinates me as a challenge of designers and a a strategist. How do you communicate to people that that's safe to eat? Because it is. Like, you create babies in labs and people don't have issues with that. You don't eat those. (laughs) (laughs) There are ethical issues and there might be ethical issues because you you have to have a cell form to start and create it from. So this this is rather crude to put, I think, from a crude brain of mine. They're putting, let's say, into a Petri dish a few meat cells and you've got to grow them something. So it's, it is still derived from meat, but it's just grown rather than on an animal. It's in a Petri dish, <laughs> crudely said. But... Yeah, it's healthier for, well, you're not killing any animals. You've also not got them grazing on the ground because we're all aware of this methane and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think, I think the future is lab-grown meat, but I think it's a way off people accepting it as a thing. There's two companies here in Australia that I know of, there may be more, but uh, the laws as well for them to be able to ever sell it in Australia, it's never going to be able to be sold here. The cultural shit. Because the law has been over 100 years and you have to change the wording. Is it only Singapore? Am I right? Is it Singapore only that allowing lab grow meat to be sold? I think, I think it, yeah, I think it's Singapore. And I think, the, is it a brand that they sell called Just, J-U-S-T, I think, because they do, they do an equivalent, that brand does an equivalent where it's egg, that it's not real egg. It's lab grown egg or whatever produced egg. That's, I, I just think it's fascinating. It's it's taking a lot longer than I thought it was going to, but I thought that was much healthier for people and for the planet than, say, soy-based plant wannabe meats. And I'm sure there'll be a replacement to that too as well. I mean, the, the soy-based meat products, farming the soy, is it is it sustainable? Or? Well, that's a challenge. I, I assume a lot of it is genetically modified. 
produce. Um, there's also, if you go into complete nerd statistics, that if you consume too much soy, it's an endocrine disruptor. So there's different, like, I'm a nerd for this stuff, you know this, but um, I'd rather just have, again, paleo, pure, real ingredients, the best source you can buy. Dave Asprey is one of the biohackers that talks quite a lot about this, about just buy the best quality of what you can buy instead of trying to gloss it up. Processed food's not good for anyone. So that's my view on it. But again, sustainability is another big trend and a topic that we should probably talk about in terms of, and also I was reading a little bit earlier as well, just because we're going to go off on tangents now. So I was about to talk about sustainability and people picking things that are better for the planet. The milk thing is obviously something that there's so many different types of milks now that years and years ago you couldn't get. And now we've got the education that almond milk is terrible for the planet. You know, all of this kind of education. So there's the milk debate. Um, but also um, people starting to buy things based because of the economy is obviously collapsing a little bit at the moment. So cost and a lot of the reasons we're struggling to tick climate change is also cost. So we're going to tackle food wastage, which also tackles climate change. If we waste less food, it's good for the planet and it's good for our, our wallets. Um, and even reading to people developing things for um, for the cooking. So if you use your oven, it costs more in energy. Yes, for the planet and for your money. So people are starting to develop formulas that are air fryer or microwave based. Years ago, like microwave was like, I don't want it in a microwave. Like it's rubbish processed food. But now people are developing healthy versions of that not cooked in plastic because yes. we can't afford to pay our electric bills or our gas yeah. bills. Yeah, we were talking before, actually, the, there are chefs who are, are working in restaurants at the moment who are developing um, dishes that are stoveless, gasless, um, basically energyless produced foods that can be served up, cook the food um, and cure the meats all in what sort of one space. Essentially, just money saving and looking to so how, how can we consume food, heated food or warm food that has used less energy called surrealist dining fascinating what a space and and also then for them to recreate it so there's also that trend of like people recreating dining from home as well so there's the energy stuff but there's also i mean covid was the trigger for us eating from home more but now actually budget wise you want to create restaurant quality food from home and um, so there's obviously a lot a lot more of that and those kind of chef creating you know what can you formulate and keep the costs low the ingredients low. There was that trend that, you know, for cooking wise, it, what can you create with five ingredients? Jamie Oliver did a big book on it, didn't he, about what can you have with five ingredients? So I think those kind of things will all start to come into play as well as we start to watch budgets and get a bit more creative with what we're doing with the different ingredients. In terms of in these categories like this of wanting to innovate, time is needed and money is needed in terms of making innovation work. Whilst we don't have that time and people are now having to cut their budgets back, People are going to be reverting to what they know, reducing our meat in our diets, for example. Uh, yet if you're balancing it against the nutritional side of things, people will probably gravitate towards, well, I know that the non-meat related products and foods are going to be more expensive. So I'll have to sort of lean towards the cheaper meat side of things, potentially. So I guess what I'm saying is um, whilst we want to try and push these things forward, make the, make the environment a better place, make our food more sustainable, our food sources more sustainable, if people are cutting back on their budgets, it makes it that little bit harder. It creates a bit of a divide. Um, so I think we should also talk a little bit about that. I mean, we've talked about lots of very exciting to us health stuff. We've talked about nootropics and all of the brands and 
things dipping into that from a drinks perspective and a food perspective and the opportunity for us to put collagen in our coffee and things. But we should maybe talk about, and this is not necessarily something that I think is in any of the trend reports, we should talk about those kind of collaborations and gimmicky things that people go to for comfort. So I think there's a rise in retro foods, things you've seen before coming back. Um, there's those things that are also, food can, is also a guilty pleasure for some. And I feel like, there's a lot of, we'll see it collaborations with, um, here there's a brand called Gelatissimo, which is an ice cream shop, and they've been doing so many different collaborations with people like Kit Kat or Reese's Pieces Peanut Butter. So they're bringing well-known brands and they're fusing it into their things. So there's that kind of indulgent side that I think we can expect to grow and, and see what mixtures we can make. People are kind of a little bit their own chemists at the moment. You're talking about people doing things that are more sustainable and what they can make, but there's also like, what can I mix together? Um, on an exciting note, touching back to sustainability, um, hopefully I'm allowed to say this, but our agency, um, we didn't do the actual packaging design, but we did create the packaging for the first paper-wrapped Kit Kat um, globally this week. So Kit Kat wrappers are always in the foil, and then they moved them, well, they moved them to a more sustainable foil, but we've just developed, um, I've, I think I have one in my fridge that I could go and get for you, but we've just developed in-house a Kit Kat wrapper where they're trialing it in Australia to see if people think it tastes as good, how do they feel the quality is of Kit Kat in a paper wrapper. And it's fully paper, it's fully recycled. I'm trying to put it in and show you online. Um, it's not communicated all that well, so you can tell we didn't do the packaging design for it. <laughs> I won't um, shout out the agency that did. Um, but yeah, but our agency has been printing these. I'm going to show you on screen now and you can see this. But it is, it's, it's, I'm 100% paper, recycle me. And it feels really nice. And so it is, it is quite thick. It feels like a cardboard envelope. So it feels like a brown envelope. And it's like brown paper type stuff. Um, but apparently, well, well, that's what we've worked. Yeah, it's got full color print. So that's what um, the pre-press side of our business does in terms of getting color accurate because obviously you want to get the Kit Kat color the Kit Kat color um, but they've done a really good job but so we've got we were no one's had these yet we were delivered a box by our clients as an exclusive to try them in the studio and they all went straight away there's like a little survey to test as to whether you feel it tastes as good does it you know still crunchy and stuff like that um, but I, I think it's great that because all it takes is one person to do it and then everyone starts going well why aren't you doing yours in paper like why are Cabri's why are Cabri's not wrapping all of theirs in this kind of formula? Yeah, well, again, there's investment involved in that, and in terms of innovate the packaging side of things to get, let's say, a Mars bar into a paper wrapper. Production lines in thousands of factories had to be changed. So yeah, there's there's logistical challenges to that, but it looks good though. It looks really good. I can imagine that on the shelf looking super smart. So, but look, if you're in our industry and if you're like us and you read, you know, the Wonderman Thompson reports or the Mintel reports and you listen to those, also do watch the design trends as well. So it's a different kind of trend. It's an aesthetic look of how these bring to life. But it's interesting to look at those and see how the two come together. So I, obviously I get super excited about, oh, you know, like sobriety and stuff like that. But then if you ask those start to watch some of the design trends, Envato is actually a really good platform for They've got loads of YouTube videos and they'll start to talk to you about minimalism. And then from understanding the consumer trend, you've gone, well, you know, people don't have time anymore. We're going back to a busy life again. The pandemic's over. We're starting to have busier lives. We're going into the office or some of us work from home. I don't have time to be bombarded with so many messages. So you see how the two come together. So there's a minimalism 
in the design aesthetic, what we design, whether it's packaging and we talk about packaging here or anything, I don't have time. So tell me what I need to know or hierarchies on visual layouts and stuff, even on stories and headlines and stuff are super important. And then minimalism is coming out in terms of what one thing do you want me to know? You want me to know you're alcohol free or do you want me to know you are brain enhancing? Do you want me to know you're full of fiber? So I think you can almost, if you watch the two together, you can see how you can bring them together in in our creative world to go well actually this is a consumer trend this is what people care about going to space or whatever it is also they care about minimalism or they care about retro how do i bring those two together and that's the exciting meeting point to go well retro is cool people are thinking about going to space in the future how do i do this rocket pack design <laughs> you know like i think i think it's nice to look at the two and think about how you might fuse those together i mean i do because we're designers so we would think about that um, but I think there are different types of trends and they serve different purposes, but they work better together. Where can people get the whole of, let's say, the Wonderman Thompson report? Because that was a really useful one. I mean, just just go to the Wonderman Thompson website and as long as you put in your details, you can download that particular report. There are ones that you can pay for for more detail. Uh, we, we subscribe as an agency to Mintel, so we get the Mintel reports. But do you know what? There's so much free stuff online. You just have to do exactly what you do. Just throw yourself into as much as possible and know that there's also a lot of junk out there as well. Like you'll also get a lot of design trends that will tell you the top 10 fonts because they're sponsored by those fonts. Um, so, you know, be smart enough. But there's so much information out there and just just dig into what excites you. I mean, we've come here today and talked about the ones that probably yeah. we're more interested mm, in. There are plenty more. We can probably rattle on about so many more. I mean, we were going to talk about, there was the Wonderman Thompson one is great because it splits it into sections. And I do, I do remember too, as it might have even been two years ago now where you and I first spoke about fintech and it ended up being one of the best episodes we've ever yeah. done. But a week before, probably a month before we recorded, we knew yeah. absolutely nothing about that space. Yes. And I feel like our next podcast needs to be something we know very little about so that we can gen up and, and research oh, and understand. I don't know what that might yeah, be. Yeah, well, plenty. But that's there's what plenty, we should do. Plenty we... it could be. We don't know enough about <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll leave that one to you, Mike. You can pick okay. the next one on right. what we want to talk that about next. Good. That sounds good. Well, Lisa, this has been brilliant. Thanks ever so much. And it's been nice to have a proper catch up since our last pod, which has been over two months now. So um, we'll make sure the next one doesn't have a big old space between it. But uh, thanks ever so much. Enjoy the rest of your evening. I know it's late there. Thank you. And you too, Mike. Have a great day. All day. Take care, Lisa. See ya. See ya.